Welcome to Quick Hits, the only podcast that gets you smartenized. Today's episode, A Christian Nation? Please be warned that this particular episode may not be safe for work. It does contain an obscenity, and you may not want to be playing it in front of your kids either. I love a good debate. If there isn't one available, I'll settle for a good argument. But nothing derails a debate faster than someone boldly and confidently spewing a point that has already been thoroughly debunked thousands of times. Back when I debated creationists, it was guaranteed that in any conversation, someone would come in and say, well, the second law of thermodynamics makes evolution impossible. This has been shot down at least 100,000 times on the internet, a few thousand times by myself. The scenario was always the same. The conversation went something like this. The FI would say, evolution is impossible because of the second law of thermodynamics. And I'd say, the second law of thermodynamics deals with entropy in a closed system. See that big yellow thing in the sky? That supplies energy, so the Earth is not a closed system. Furthermore, life uses energy more rapidly than non-life, so it does increase the rate of entropy. Therefore, evolution and the second law of thermodynamics are perfectly compatible. And the response from the FI was usually silence. But then, a week or a month later, I'd see the same FI in the same place making the same claim to somebody else all over again. At that point, my only option was to find out where he lived, knock on his door, and kick him in the left testicle. Not hard. Not hard enough to cause any permanent damage. Just enough to get his attention and to punish him for being a fucking idiot. Another FI argument that I've been hearing a lot of lately, I've seen books written about it, and it's just really getting grating and annoying, is the idea that the United States was founded as a Christian nation, that that was what the Founding Fathers wanted. I'm so tired of it, and I'm so sick of it. I just wanted to, one last time, lay bare that lie. So we can just give it a rest and move on to the rest of the debate or argument. The fact is, most of the Founding Fathers were Christians, but they weren't really obnoxious about it or obsessed with it. One of the most popular religions that quite a few of them subscribed to was Deism. And that teaches that God created everything, he set the wheels in motion, and then he went off to play cards. Now, for some inexplicable reason, Raz is his favorite game, and don't even think about trying to bluff him. But Deism says that he no longer messes with the affairs of men. It's up to us to make things work. Franklin, Jefferson, Thomas Paine, they were all deists, and deist thought pervades the writing of a lot of the other founding fathers, like Washington and Hamilton and John Adams. Let's take a look at Jefferson for a moment. He thought that Jesus Christ was a great philosopher, but he didn't believe that he was the Son of God. And he referred to Christianity as superstition. 
In fact, he wrote, In the New Testament, there is internal evidence that parts of it have proceeded from an extraordinary man, and other parts of it are the fabric of very inferior minds. It is easy to separate those parts as to pick out the diamonds from the dunghills. He also said, And the day will come when the mystical generation of Jesus by the supreme being as his father in the womb of a virgin will be classified with the fable of the generation of Minerva from the brain of Jupiter. But we may hope that the dawn of reason and freedom of thought in these United States will do away with this artificial scaffolding and restore to us the primitive and genuine doctrines of this most venerated reformer of human errors. He was talking, of course, of Jesus, who he thought was a great man and a great philosopher, but not divine. See, Jefferson believed that Jesus was a great man, but just a man. And he believed it so much that he went on to create the world's first mashup. He rewrote the Gospels, rearranging them in chronological order and carefully removing any reference to Jesus' miracles or divinity. It's called the Jefferson Bible, and it's still available today. He had very little use for organized religion. He said, History, I believe, furnishes no example of a priest-ridden people maintaining a free civil government. Boy, it sounds like he's been reading today's newspapers, doesn't it? This marks the lowest grade of ignorance of which their civil as well as religious leaders will always avail themselves for their own purposes. And he wasn't alone in those beliefs. If you just do a little Googling on the quotes of the Founding Fathers on religion, you'll find that they didn't have much good to say. None of them had much good to say about organized religion. But, says the F.I., the phrase, a wall of separation between the church and state, isn't in the Constitution. He's right. It's not. Jefferson wrote it in a letter to a Baptist congregation in Danbury, Connecticut. They'd requested a national day of prayer, and he refused quoting the First Amendment, and saying it erected a wall of separation between church and state. Not a thin paper privacy panel. Not a velvet rope. A wall. You can't get through a wall from either side. The Declaration of Independence makes several references to a supreme being, but never specifically identifies him. It refers once to nature's God. And it follows that with the phrase, all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And it closes with, and for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. You can tell just by the style of this, this was written by somebody who was very carefully choosing his words. And all of these references to God were very generic. They didn't refer to Jehovah or Yahweh or Jesus Christ, and they could have, and they would have, if that was the writer's intent. The Constitution doesn't mention God, but it does have several clauses restricting the mixing of religion and politics. There's to be no religious test for any office, and swearing in can either be done by oath which is generally understood to be a religious pledge, like swearing on the Bible, or an affirmation, which is a non-religious pledge. And then there's that First Amendment thing. It's very clear, despite the efforts of the FIs to undermine and misinterpret it. And here's the killer, folks. 
There's a document in our archives that proves we're not a Christian nation. The Treaty of Tripoli. The U.S. had been working on cleaning up piracy on the Barbary Coast. Yeah, even back then, Muslims were terrorists. And the final piece of the cleanup was the Treaty of Tripoli. In Article 11, it states, As the government of the United States of America is not, in any sense, founded on the Christian religion, as it has in itself no character or enmity against laws, regulations, or tranquility of Muslimen, which was the phrase then for Muslims, and as the said states never entered into any war, act of hostility against any Mohammedan nation, it is declared by the parties that no pretext arising from religious opinions shall ever produce an interruption of harmony existing between the two countries. This treaty was approved unanimously by the Senate and signed by President John Adams in 1797, the very infancy of our republic. Let me repeat that phrase. The government of the United States is not in any sense founded on a Christian religion. And let me repeat, that was ratified by the Senate unanimously. There you have it in black and white, from the very earliest days of our republic. So, the next time you hear someone make the claim that we were founded as a Christian nation, all you have to do is give them this podcast. Have them listen to it. And then, in a week or a month, when you hear them make the same claim to somebody else, they better be wearing a cup. And that's it for this episode of the Quick Hits Podcast. If you've learned a little something, if you've changed your mind, or even if you can just understand a different point of view without necessarily agreeing with it, congratulations, you've been smartenized. The last show was so long that I really didn't get to the comments. By the way, on the last show with all the uh, different federal agencies that need to be chopped down, uh, most of the comments that I got were, yeah, right on, but you forgot these few. And no, I didn't, actually. I could have gone on for an hour. I mean, that show, I try and keep the, the main body of this show to 10 minutes or so uh, just to keep myself on track and, and keep it from being too rambling, and that thing went for 25 minutes. So, And, and I could have gone for another hour, easily. Uh, most people were saying, well, what about the IRS? Uh, what about this one? What about that one? Hey, look, as far as I'm concerned, you can get rid of all of them. There was one comment on the blog uh, by someone. By the way, that's another place that you can leave comments is on the Quick Hits blog, and I'll tell you how to get there in a minute. One comment on the blog said, I haven't had a chance to listen to the podcast, but I'm sure that the shutdown of all agencies, minus what is required by the Constitution, would be the best thing for us all. Well, Tom, you're absolutely right. The uh, Constitution pretty much lays out what the government can do in Article 1, Section 8. And if my reading of it is correct, the departments that the feds can have would be a Department of Naturalization, some department that regulates imports, the U.S. Mint, the Post Office, the Copyright Office, Patent Office, a Department of Weights and Measures, uh, the Army, but never for more than two years, the Navy, the lower federal courts, and passing laws for Washington, D.C. And, poor boy, that sounds great to me. We just put the feds there and just have them deal with that? That would be pretty wonderful. 
And then he replies, uh, my current copy of the Constitution that I carry with me everywhere has a specific tab on that page to point out to people what limits are on place in the feds. And as with most liberals, when they read this for themselves, they point out that it was written over 200 years ago. How quick liberals and some conservatives are to dismiss the Constitution. Of course, this is until they need it to protect themselves. There's a couple of little thin booklets, uh, pocket-sized books, that have the whole Constitution in them. Because the Constitution is not really very long or very complicated. And um, it's really a handy little thing to have. I've used it myself many times. I think maybe we should uh, send some copies of it to the Supreme Court because uh, it seems obvious that they haven't really read it in quite some time. Now, on the one for insulting Islam, I'm going to get to that. Got a lot of email on that. Uh, A lot of it fell into different categories, so I'm not going to address them specifically, except for this one email that brought up two different points that nobody else brought up. And the first one was, uh, this is from George Paulus. Enjoyed your latest podcast, but thought I would bring up a couple of issues. Stetson Kennedy exaggerated a lot. And then he pointed me to an article by the guys who wrote Freakonomics, where they were a little embarrassed to find out that Stetson Kennedy's story wasn't entirely true. He had not infiltrated the Klan. He did have a friend who infiltrated the Klan and gathered all the information and put it forth. And the Superman part was correct. And that was kind of the point of the whole thing. But yeah, Stetson um, had a tendency to uh, aggrandize himself a little more and give himself a little more credit for the work that he did. So there's the correction for that. Uh, Also, he says, in regard to female genital mutilation, I don't think that's something that can be laid at the door of Islam. It is not an Islamic practice. It's tribal just more common in areas that practice Islam. But it's not exclusive to Islam. And he aims me to the Wikipedia article on it. Well, yeah, that's true. Uh, It was really a practice that was African tribes came up with before they became Islamic. But I think what's important here is that as they've adopted Islam, they've still kept up with this horribly barbaric practice. And I have yet to see Islam condemn it. In fact, I kind of suspect that some of the Islamic leaders look at that and go, damn, why didn't we think of that? But they allow it to go on. So they're not approving it. They're not condemning it. um, But it just kind of is going on without them complaining about it at all. I had a lot of people write in and say, oh, man, right on. I'm so glad to hear somebody saying that. Well, folks. You should be saying it too. Get out there. Yeah, it's just, it's not politically correct. No, no, no. You must respect other religions, no matter how ridiculous they are, no matter how violent they are, no matter how barbaric they are. You must respect them. Bullshit. That should be your response. Loudly and emphatically. Stand up against it. Say, no, no. I'm not going to respect this because it doesn't deserve my respect. And furthermore, I'm not going to support passing out special favors for it. Putting up special foot baths or allowing people to not do their jobs or to reschedule things around it. Because this is a vile, barbaric, primitive, bad superstition. I had a couple people write and say, aren't you afraid to do a podcast like that? No, with wacky Muslims running around and killing people. No, actually, I'm not. First of all, I live here in America, and that isn't that common. It is pretty common in places in Europe, 
where there's more of them and uh, they, they tend to uh, react that way more often. But they generally go after the more famous and the more well-known. For instance, there's a guy out there with a great podcast named Pat Condell who spends most of his podcasts slamming uh, religion, but specifically Islam. And he gets lots and lots and lots of death threats. But his podcast is still coming out. And frankly, if I were afraid, you know, it doesn't take any bravery to do something that you're not afraid of. But frankly, if I were afraid, that would be a good sign that it's time to break out of that fear and do it anyways. Because otherwise, they're the ones that are controlling you. Lots of people wrote to say, hey, you know, um, you're painting them all with a broad brush and you really shouldn't do that. And there's lots of Muslims out there that are great and wonderful and fine people. And I absolutely believe that. It's true. I've known a few myself. But I have a hard time believing they're in the majority. The evidence just doesn't show that. I'm sorry. And when I see Muslim leaders standing up and doing something about other Muslim leaders who are preaching and practicing violence and inciting people to violence, well, yeah, then maybe I'll change my mind. But that hasn't happened. And I'm not holding my breath. Hey, if you're a podcaster, I'd like to invite you to come and join the Podcast Peer Awards. It's at podcastpeers.org. It's a little project of mine where we got a bunch of people that vote on various shows and podcasts in various categories. And we're making a lot of changes there. I'm trying to kind of spice it up and liven it up a little bit. And so come on over. If you're a podcaster, sign up. If you're not a podcaster, I just put out something new called the Podcast Peer Awards Sampler, which is a sampler of shows that have been nominated for the award. So if you're looking for a way to get some fresh content, you know, you kind of listen to the same old podcasts all the time, you can grab that sampler and you will find new fresh shows on your iPod or other MP3 player. It's pretty cool. Uh, Right now, I just started it like this weekend. So there's like three or four shows in there. But grab it, check it out, and uh, expand your podcast listening a little bit. That's podcastpeers.org, and the sampler is under the podcast link. You know I love hearing from you. I absolutely do. That's what makes this so much fun. So send me a letter to hitman at davehit.com, and that's spelled with two T's all the way through. But if you want to get the spelling right, you can check the MP3 tags in this file or you can go to davehit.com, spelled with two T's, and you'll find the email address all over the place on that in various articles and various things. There's also the blog, and on the blog, usually a day or so after I put the podcast up, I'll put up a post for comments there too, so it makes it easy to do. And who knows, you could be famous and have your letter read on the Quick Hits Podcast. There's only one thing, though. You have to remember that the Quick Hits Podcast is little more than a journal of one man's opinion and therefore should not be taken too seriously. Seriously.